Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. If you would like to take your Bibles out this morning, uh, you can. We are going to be, I want you to keep in mind that story that you just read, and we are going to be looking at um, a passage from Romans. You can turn to the book of Romans if you want, and also a passage from Ezekiel, which is in the Old Testament. I want to pick up on the story that we just read together, and I want to um, continue on its, on its way in the New Testament. But before we do that, I want to pull you back about 600 years into the Old Testament. Before Saul became Paul, before his conversion, before Jesus walks on the earth, back about six centuries. The children of Israel are in exile. They're in Babylon. We talked about the Babylonian exile a few weeks ago. But a man by the name of Ezekiel is writing while the children of Israel are in Babylon. Some of them are still back in Judah, but most of them have been taken from Judah to Babylon. And in his prophecy, Ezekiel does two different things, speaking to these children of God who have found themselves because of their own rebellion in a foreign land. He begins to talk about how it's going to get worse before it gets better. Ezekiel is kind of a long book, so I'm not going to try to go through all the details. But he talks about how there's going to be more people taken to Babylon. About how God is reacting to their choice to turn their back on him. But after he gets through talking about how it's going to get worse before it gets better, he starts talking in the second half of the book about how God is going to eventually deliver his people. Okay, This is roughly around the same time as Daniel's existence. If you think about your Old Testament Bible stories, this is around the same time as Daniel. In fact, Ezekiel and Daniel are right next to each other in the Old Testament. He begins to say to them, God is going to take you back where you came from. He's going to get you back home. He's going to restore you. He's going to reestablish you. He's going to get you back. He's going to get your standing back as a nation. This is good news for the children of Israel. This is good news specifically for the children of Judah who are the ones who were taken into captivity. 
There's a day coming where you are going to be reestablished. Your value, your position, your identity is going to be retained. We'll come back to Ezekiel in a minute. 600 years later, a man named Saul, after the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, some years later, takes it upon himself to begin persecuting the followers of the way. That is what, how they were referred to, Christians, followers of Christ, followers of the way. He thought he was doing a good thing in his religious zeal. But in his desire to do what he thought was the right thing or to stamp out this group of heretics, he was really chasing down and persecuting and throwing into prison the people who had understood the message of the gospel, that Jesus had come to die for them and to invite them into new life. On his way to another round of arrests, that story that we just read in our responsive reading occurs on the road. And Saul's conversion is both profound and pretty spectacular. I don't know all of your stories of your conversions, but I haven't heard anyone in our church that's ever said that Jesus stopped him in the middle of the road and shone a bright light on him and blinded him for three days. That's, that's a testimony you would remember. And Saul, as we call him Paul thereafter, experiences this profound renewal of his spiritual identity. He's no longer interested in the self-righteous implementation of his own pursuit He is now interested in the God who both called him, stopped him, forgave him, and then filled him on that road to Damascus. And his identity, somewhat similar to those children of Israel who had turned their back on God in the Old Testament, his identity is reclaimed his position, his standing with God is reestablished and he is walking now in faith. These two stories are not mirror images of each other, but they are both examples of people or groups of people who having gone their own way in pursuit of what they thought was the right thing to do, find themselves not where God wants them to be and God firmly reestablishes them and saves them, redeems them, and puts them back where they ought to be. That's a great reality. That is the gospel. The good news that God is in the business of taking rebels and turning them in to reestablished identity bearers of Jesus Christ and salvation and holiness. That's the gospel. 
So it is interesting then that as Ezekiel is getting closer to the end of his prophecy, he says something about these people that are going to be reestablished that God is going to have to do for them. Today is the last of our series of messages about the Holy Spirit. We have said a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. It's not the last of our emphasis on the Holy Spirit. It's just the last of this series of messages on the Holy Spirit. We've said the Holy Spirit is fully God, part of the triune Godhead. That the Holy Spirit is asked for both by ourselves and by Jesus on our behalf. That we wait for the Spirit to move. And that when he moves, he brings power and discernment. When he moves, he brings fruit that we will bear in our lives. That when he moves, he speaks and we can hear him. When he moves, he goes before us. We said he is a spirit that can be encountered. Today I want to end by talking about the fact that the spirit is not just one who can be encountered, but he is one who transforms us. Our mission statement says that we exist to see transformed lives for God's glory. And our motto for our church is that the way that that happens is that we have to run to Jesus. There's no way to get transformation without running to Jesus. But what is the Spirit's role in all of that transformation? Ezekiel says that as God reestablishes you, he's going to have to do something in you. And Paul, after his conversion, after that incredible testimonial story that we just read, where anybody who went through that, what, what he went through in his conversion, might be tempted to plant that little placard on their wall and say, that's how I came to Jesus. I mean, this is a guy that you would have come speak at your church and tell his testimony on special Sundays. That's an incredible story. But that same Paul, years later, in Romans chapter 7, begins to express his frustration, not that he doesn't have the Spirit. He has the Spirit. In fact, if you read the story again of his conversion... That's one of the things that, that he is told. That he receives the Holy Spirit in his conversion. So his frustration is not that he doesn't have the Spirit. His frustration is not that he has not been reestablished and made right with God. His frustration is that he sees things in himself that he knows look a lot more like the old him than the new him. Now, this is not because God is not in him. It is not because God is not working and changing him. Paul is just recognizing 
that there are some things that still look more like the old me. And he comes down to the end of chapter 7 in Romans, and he says, almost crying out in desperation, this man who has been converted, who is walking with God, who has the Spirit of God, he says, what am I going to do? Who will deliver me? I'm not sure that sounds like the question of a converted individual. At least that's what we've been conditioned to think. Paul, walking with God, preacher, theologian, converted. Who will deliver me, he says. And we turn the page to chapter 8 the very beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And Paul, as you've heard me say before, seems to have reached a conclusion about his question. Great conversion, walking with God, preaching, evangelist, missionary, who will deliver me? Chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. 600 years before, Ezekiel had told the exiles that God was not only going to redeem them, but he was going to do something in their heart. Paul redeemed realizes that God is continuing to do some things in his heart. Not because he got the Spirit, but because he has the Spirit. Do you understand the difference? Life transformation, sanctity of life, of our the, the, making sacred our spiritual lives, is not so much about needing to go out and get the Spirit to fill us. No. It is about turning loose the Spirit that we have received since our salvation. When Paul was converted, he received the Holy Spirit. What Paul didn't realize was the Spirit had more work that he wanted to be doing that Paul just wasn't even aware of. So when Paul starts to look at his life and go, what is going on here? Who's going to deliver me? I, I thought I was delivered. What's the problem? Wait, there's there, no, no, for, there's there no condemnation. For what? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul's conclusion? That then I must be able to be delivered. I must be able to have this new life. The Holy Spirit is in you. As I said several weeks ago, we don't, waiting on the Spirit doesn't mean we're waiting around on the Spirit. It means we're being attentive to waiting for where he wants to move. The Holy Spirit is in you, 
He has been given to you. He lives inside of you. Jesus is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and you here in your converted, following Jesus state might at times look at yourself and say, I'm seeing some things that look more like the old me than the new me. Can I challenge you this morning, my friends? If under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you can't take a look at your life and notice some things that sometimes look more like the old you than the new you, you're probably not looking very far. He wants to be at work in us. The Spirit transforms us. Notice that I'm not saying that he transformed us, that he just he did it. He is transforming us. So he's changing you. Ezekiel would word it this way. He's got to, and I just barely touched on this a couple weeks ago, I think. He's going to have to take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Which you've also heard me preach about different times over the years. Right? Paul realizes that maybe there is some attentiveness of my heart that I've not, I've not allowed the Spirit to move in. Not because I didn't want him to move in it, but because I just wasn't aware. And now I'm doing some reflection and I'm saying, wait a minute, this looks more like the bondage me, not the redeemed me. What am I going to do? Why are some of my behaviors looking that way? The Spirit wants to continue to transform you. Christianity is not a one and done experience either in conversion or in sanctification. It's not. Christianity is an ongoing relationship, we say with Jesus, and that is true, but through his spirit. Do you hear? He wants to make you different. Different post-conversion than you were pre-conversion? Yes. He's making saints out of sinners but also different this year than you were last year. Different today than you were yesterday. More like Jesus. He wants to transform you. So what happens when we are being transformed by the Spirit? What happens? What does Paul discover? Let me give you a few basic guidelines. This is not comprehensive, but there are certain things that happen when we are being transformed by the Spirit. First of all, we will have transformed desires. Transformed desires. When the Spirit is given free reign within us, the way that we begin to want things and think about things should begin to shift more and more in the image of God. Now you might say, well, wait a second, does that, shouldn't that, doesn't it 
happen, we become a Christian, shouldn't we change then? Yes, and you do. But sometimes some of our desires are built sort of in a, in a stack. Some of them are predicated on others. And so it's more the fact that this transformation goes through a period of time as more and more of us is exposed under the light of the Holy Spirit. I've said many, many times, I don't think sanctity or holiness has as much to do with whether or not God is holding back on us, waiting to give us more of himself, or even whether or not we're holding back on our desire to have more of him. Usually it's a matter of us realizing just how much of him we need. Okay? If we're not ready to say yes to everything that Jesus has, then, then we're really not ready to follow Jesus. But sometimes we don't know everything that he has. And so sanctity becomes the process of transformation whereby we become more aware that we need more and more of him. So our desires begin to change. The things that we want to be involved in, the things that we want to be associated with, the things that we want to see accomplished in our lives and in our families, in our churches, in our communities. It begins to change here. My friends, I believe in evangelism, I believe in outreach, and I believe in standing up for what you think is right. But what the world needs more than Christians who will stand up is Christians who will be transformed. Christians who will allow the floodlight of God's Spirit to penetrate every corner of their heart. Our desires are changed. Second, when we are being in the process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit, we have a sensitivity to sin. Notice I did not say we have an incompatibility with sin. Sometimes we see that sin still is there. What we have is a sensitivity to it. Oh, yes, let's go ahead. We'll take it a step farther. When we're being transformed by Jesus and his spirit, we have more of a sensitivity to our own sin than to the sensitivity to other people's sin. We have confused sanctity with being very righteously sensitive towards everyone else's sin. That is not what this means. Paul is looking at himself and saying, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. Who has a problem? I have a problem. This is the guy who spends his life telling other people what their problems are. And for good reason. That's what God called him to do. He, he preaches the gospel. He calls people to repentance. He's planning new churches. And his primary responsibility is to allow the Spirit to show him when he has a problem. A sensitivity to sin. Are you going to fail? You might. In fact, you probably will. But when Jesus, through his Spirit, is transforming you, you're sensitive to when you go off the rails. You go in a direction that is not what he would have. In that sense, 
we do have an incompatibility with sin. It's not that it can't be there, but it's that when it happens, we start to say, nope, that's, no, no, that's, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm uh, not much of a cook. I'm even less of a baker. I, I, I cannot bake stuff. I, I, Carrie can, Elizabeth can, I, and I'm thankful for them. Um, when you're, I've been told, um, when, by, by a baker, when we were in Florida a couple years ago, we took Elizabeth to tour a French bakery that was down there run by a French chef. And he uh, stood and talked to her for a little while about um, the baking industry and about, about his work. And he said something to me that, well, he said it to her, I was just listening, that I've never forgotten. He said, when you are cooking, you can play with it. You can afford to, oh, let's put a little of this seasoning in, let's try a little extra of that, and, and season to taste. He said, when you're baking, you get a re the recipe, you figure out whether you're doing your own recipe or you got that recipe if you want to get the end product that's on the recipe card. And he said, in fact, I'm, he said, I'm, cooked, I'm baking here in Florida. He said, if I went up where you live in Michigan and had to bake, I'd have to change my recipes. Air quality is different. Things react differently. They'd be different recipes up there than they are down here. But he said, if you want to bake, have you ever had something that you've made many, many times in the kitchen? And one time when you get, you can taste that you left something out or you can taste that you put something in that wasn't supposed to be there. And you may not even be able to tell what it is that you got wrong, but you can tell by tasting it, ah, we, we missed a step somewhere, or we added a step somewhere. This is a little bit what it's like when the Spirit begins to change us. When something goes awry, when something is off, when, we're, when we have gotten to start looking more like our old selves. We have a sense of are. And we are. And we retreat back into the word, back into our time with the spirit and allow him to show us what it is. Transformed desires, transformed sensitivity to sin, a transformed way of thinking. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A transformed mindset, a transformed way of thinking. Can I tell you, my friends, you don't just start to see sin differently. You don't just start to have different desires. You start to think differently when the Spirit is working and has free reign in your soul. You start to see other people differently. You start to see systems differently. You start to think about what is valuable differently. I do not question Christians who have behaviors or thoughts or habits that are different than my own convictions. What I sometimes question are people who walk with the Lord for long periods of time and don't seem to be any different than they used to be. Or when we start to become even more comfortable with the norms of the world 
And I don't mean the world like shame on those people out there. I mean the norms of earthly things. Our spirit should be renewing our mind to think like Jesus. Two more very quickly. We have transformed goals. Did you know when the Spirit is working in you, what you are hoping to get out of life changes? It changes. You start to see the brevity of life. You start to see how insignificant some of the things that we will pour ourselves into really are. You start to see what you really hope to obtain. The kind of person that you would hope to be when the Spirit is working inside of you. And last... If the mind's being transformed and the desires are being transformed and our goals are being transformed and we're more sensitive to sin, it would follow that our behaviors are going to be transformed. And this is where Paul lands. There in Romans chapter 7, what am I going to do? The things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I know I ought to be doing, I'm not doing. The things that I think I've gotten past are still there. What is wrong with me? He's talking about behaviors. That's all the way down to the end of chapter 7. And here's what he realized. If you look into chapter 8, he was trying to allow the Spirit to work in him while regulating his behaviors by the law. He was trying to put all the rules in place for his behavior so that he would behave right and then just allow the Spirit to do work inside of him. And what he found is when the Spirit is working inside, he's going to change you on the outside. Maybe not first, in fact, probably not first, but it will happen. He says in chapter 8, what the law could not do. What do you mean what the law couldn't do? What's the law built for? Why do we have laws? Why do we have laws? To make people behave, right? Or at least to make them behave in the ways that the people who are putting the laws in place want them to behave, that's why we have laws. He says what the law couldn't do. The law couldn't make me behave. Because I was trying to do it through the flesh, God did it instead. How did God do it? By sending his son. So that because his son came, here's what Paul says, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does it mean to walk? That's just our behavior. That's, that's what that means. So if I could summarize, here's what Paul was saying. Why am I behaving in a way 
that I shouldn't be behaving. I know that that's not what I want to do, yet I find myself doing it. I've tried to put all the laws and the rules and the structures in place to keep me from doing the things that I shouldn't be doing. Why is it not working? The reason it's not working is because the law falls short. What do I need then to actually make me behave the way that imitates Jesus Christ? I, because I have accepted the work that the Son did on the cross, need to walk in the Spirit. My friends, hear me. You're going to go out into this week experiencing and living the redemptive life that Jesus has for you. And as you are experiencing that, I pray, I trust that you will find all along the journey, sometimes you'll notice it more, sometimes you won't notice it as much, even though it's still happening. Sometimes you'll look back on the last six months of your life and you'll say, I'm a different person now than I was six months ago. I didn't even realize how much he was changing me. But I pray, I trust that this week, in the weeks to come, as we head into the fall, as we conclude this series on the Holy Spirit and look at other things that he wants to show us, that your mind, your desires, your sensitivity to sin, your heart, as Ezekiel wrote in the Old Testament, your behaviors are all being transformed in the process of being transformed. Because that's what the Spirit does. It's what he does. He changes your desires and he changes your goals and he changes your aspirations and he changes your behaviors to look more and more like Jesus. I don't know exactly what that will be for you because I don't know exactly where you're at with him in that process. But I can guarantee you, it will be happening, because that's the kind of God that he is. And isn't it beautiful that he put the system in place that way instead of in the reverse? He didn't say, I'm going to change everything about you, and then you can experience redemption. He said, because you have experienced redemption, I'm going to change you. I'd much rather have it that way. I'd much rather say, I have the Spirit. I've received the Spirit. He's been given to me. Now I just want all the fullness of everything that he's got. I'm going to open up every door. And as he shows me stuff, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in that light all the while knowing that I've already experienced the grace and forgiveness and salvation of the cross. So I can do it with confidence. In stark contrast to the ideas of pagan religion that would convince us that we do so that we can get. And Jesus says, no, you've already got, so now you can go do. A completely different way of thinking, completely different way of living. And that is what the Holy Spirit does when he transforms us. Let's stand together. I would like to pray over you a prayer of blessing this morning as we ask the Lord for his spirit. All of the things that we've learned in the last two months as we've talked about the Holy Spirit. As we ask the Lord to fill us and enable us to live 
that transformed life. Lord, you see us here before you, both here in the sanctuary and those who are joining us electronically. You see our hearts and you know what struggles we have and you know what challenges we face and you know what victories we celebrate. We thank you for redemption, for forgiveness. And we pray that the ongoing transforming power of your spirit will reside in each one of us. We pray, Lord, that you will make us sensitive to your moving. And, Lord, that you will make us gracious to others in whom you are working. We want to be in the image of Jesus. We want to be transformed through your power. We love you, Lord. Bless us with your grace and peace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at HudsonWesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.